10 years ago tonight, my mother passed away. Sad, because I loved her dearly, and her leaving this world left a very, very big void in my life. But glad, because her departure from here meant that she was home in heaven. My mother was a believer from her earliest days. She loved and followed Jesus all of her life. And even during the last days of her life, as her health was deteriorating, she had a peace, a confidence, and a growing eagerness to leave this world and be with Christ. Not so my father. Go back 15 years earlier when my dad was passing away. We were gathered in his hospital room. My dad had not put his trust in Christ. Had lots of doubts, lots of questions, and certainly no assurance of what would meet him when he left this world. Little did my family or my father know that night that that night in the hospital room, a promise made 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem was going to be fulfilled. Paul read that promise just a few moments ago in Luke 2, and particularly these words, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill among men. That verse, verse 14, describes a divine, timeless, and irrevocable linkage between two dynamics in this world. God's glory and the quality of human relationships are irrevocably linked together. To be specific, when God is glorified, when he is respected, when he is honored, when he is worshiped, human relationships flourish. Or as the angels put it, there is peace on earth and goodwill among men. But the reverse is also true. When human relationships truly flourish, when they are marked by genuine love, humility, compassion, forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, then God is glorified because people know that those qualities, that peace has a divine origin. It can only come from God. Now this divine reciprocal linkage between God's glory and human relationships is echoed throughout scripture. Passage after passage. Just a couple. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. a lawyer came to Jesus and said, teacher, what is the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response, one that we've all heard, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the prophets and the law. Loving God, loving people, honoring, respecting, glorifying God, and loving our neighbor are linked together inseparably. In Philippians 2, 
1 through 11, Paul goes into great detail describing this linkage. Let me describe it to you because he is explicit about how the quality of human relationships is specifically tied to our view and our attitude toward God and his glory. Here's what Paul says to the church in Philippi. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That describes flourishing human relationships. We would all like to have in our families, our marriages, our workplace, our homes. But there's a condition. There's only one way to truly have that. Paul goes on to say this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I could read to you the rest of the evening scripture passages that echo the same theme. They're countless. Just two, two other quick examples. John 17, 20 through 24, Jesus specifically links and, and prays for that the glory of the unity between Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the unity in the Holy Spirit, the glory of that unity would be reflected in those who call upon the name of Christ. God's glory will be lived out in the quality of our relationships. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, describing the earliest days of the, of the church, it describes a season when there was such love, such sacrifice, such compassion, and not just between the cliques that had existed beforehand, but it was surpassing and, and uh, surmounting chasms between Jews and Gentiles, relational dynamics that were supernatural. And the people around them watched this. They saw this and the scriptures tell us that the, the early disciples gained such favor with the people of Jerusalem that they gave glory to God and many of them came to faith. Acts 2.47, that God was adding to their number daily, not just once or twice a month, but daily new people coming to Christ. So what do these passages and the promise of the angels that night, glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill among men. What do they have to do with my father when he was minutes away from death and had not trusted in Jesus Christ? Well, to answer that question, we have to go back another decade. 1982, when I got out of law school, I came back. I was a relatively new Christian, just three or four years in the faith, and I was zealous. I was overzealous. I was going to lead my father into the kingdom whether he wanted to come or not. And it's hard for a father to hear something this significant from his son, and I came on pretty strong. 
And one day we had this argument. I'd pressed hard, he'd pressed back. I'm a lawyer, he's a judge, so we had some great discussions. <laughs> he pressed back and I said something disrespectful to him and then just walked away in frustration and I went to another part of the house and I was under great conviction. I realized that was not honoring to my father, it was not respectful. I started this conversation with God. Okay, God, I know that wasn't respecting, I know it wasn't honoring my dad and I know I should probably go back there and confess to him, but if I do that, he's gonna think I'm a fool. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was as close as I've ever come. And basically what came to my mind was, Ken, your dad already knows you're a fool. (laughs) You've made that extremely evident in the last five minutes. The question is, does he know that I am real and that I'm working in you to transform you into the image of Christ? Does he know that? And that realization humbled me and God gave me grace, go up to my dad and say, dad, I'm so sorry. I was so disrespectful. My dad saw that and he thought, whoa, there must be something supernatural for my son to humble himself. And as he watched me over the next 10 years, the change that God was bringing in my life, taking a proud, self-sufficient, independent young man who knew everything and slowly humbled me slowly broke me, slowly changed me into a different human being. Not only that, the work I was doing as a conciliator also gave evidence of God's supernatural power, of his glory. And I would go out in the morning, I was living with my folks for a couple of years when I started Peacemaker Ministries, and in the morning my dad would ask me what I was gonna do of the day, and I'd tell him about a mediation, I was gonna do some businessmen suing each other, or a divorce, or a child custody case, or a church split. And my dad, who'd been a judge and a lawyer for many, many years, he'd say, son, I know you mean well. I I know you really want to help these people. Believe me, I've seen a hundred of these cases like you're describing. They never settle. You're wasting your time. And I'd go out and i said, well, I've got nothing else to do today. And I'd come back in the evening. We'd be having dinner. And he'd say, so what happened with that lawsuit? I said, wow, the the most amazing thing happened. These these guys came in. They've been fighting for, you know, two years. And suddenly today they were... It's confessing, taking responsibility, forgiving. They got a big argument over how much restitution. One guy wanted to pay more money than the other guy wanted. And my dad was sort of amazed. He said, well, there's a few flukes now and then. But he started noticing there were a lot of flukes, a lot of unusual outcomes. And I will never forget the night I came home at midnight. It had been a long mediation. We didn't want to stop. The momentum was going. We saw an incredible reconciliation. I got home at midnight and my dad was waiting up. And he said, what happened? What happened? He had heard time after time evidences of the supernatural reconciling, restoring power of Christ. And he began to realize there was a power. This was happening way too often to be coincidence or flukes. There was a power impacting human relationships of confession and repentance and forgiveness and restitution and restoration. And not only that, my father saw the glory of God being lived out in my mother, my brother, my sister, all of us in Christ. And the love we had for our families, the love we had for our friends, and the love we had for him as he struggled for 20 years with alcoholism. In many days, hurting and distressing us and yet waking up the next morning and experiencing forgiveness. He felt that again 
and again and again. And then I married Corlette, and my dad adored her. And he saw in her relationship with me and with other people further evidence of the grace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God. In all these relationships, people of goodwill, enjoying peace, goodwill among men, God was being glorified. His power was being displayed. And my dad began to change. His questions began to change where 10 years earlier had been questions like this. If there's really a God, then why this? It was a defiant question, a resistant question, a looking for a way to denounce and deny God. But as time went by, as questions changed, it became a question like this. If there's really a God, then why this? Same words, totally different question. Now he was asking for understanding. He saw the evidence. He knew there must be a God. There was just things about him he didn't understand, but he wanted to know. So as we sat there in the hotel room that night, 1982, 92, and my dad was, we all knew, just within minutes of dying, and I still hadn't heard him put his trust in Christ, and I was groping for something to say. I wanted one more time to share the gospel, and I just said something like, Dad, I love you so much. You were such a good dad. And that question, the Holy Spirit drove through my father's heart like a spear and pierced him. And at that moment, he came under great conviction. It had been actually growing for many years, but it came to a climax that he knew he wasn't a perfect man. He wasn't an entirely good man. He knew that he had sinned, that he'd fallen short, that there's no way he could stand before a holy God on the basis of his record and get into heaven. And tears came into his eyes. He said, no, I wasn't a good man. And all the years of the drinking and all those other things were there in front of him. And he felt despair. And that's when I could share the gospel one more time. I said, Dad, that's what the gospel's about. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him at any point in his life to the very last breath of his life shall not perish but shall have eternal life. My dad looked at me, he says, just too good to be true. I said, you're right. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. And he said, how do I do it? What do I do? I said, do you wanna pray? He said, yeah, but hold it, one other question. There's no time, I don't have time to do anything good. I said, you don't need to. And I shared with him a few passages, Galatians 2.16, it's not by works through faith in Christ. Titus 3.5, Romans 4.2, there's so many scriptures reminded it's not by works. Christianity is the only faith that someone could decide to commit themselves to 10 seconds before death, having no time for a single good deed and enter into heaven 10 seconds later because of trusting Christ. And so my dad prayed Peace came over him. He relaxed. And an hour later, he left this world. And the great irony in this is that although my mother, my brother, my sister, and I had all been with Christ for decades, Dad got to heaven first. <laughs> That's so wonderful. So let me say this. 
To those of you who are in Christ, who are trusting in Jesus, never underestimate the power and the impact of your life testimony, how you live out your relationships, how you forgive, how you confess, how you repent, how you reconcile, how you love the people around you and your family, your neighbor next door, the people in the workplace. Take hold of that promise that God is glorified when there is peace on earth and when people see that peace in us. So if there is a relationship that may be strained or broken in your life, if God is laying that on your heart tonight, don't let this week go by until you go and you display God's glory as you seek peace with that other person. And even around the dinner table tomorrow, direct the conversation toward the peace of God. I'm gonna put up on our, minute, our church uh, prayer Facebook page, a link back to the post I did before Thanksgiving with some questions that you could ask around the dinner table tomorrow as you have family gathered together. Another question you could ask, just based on this one passage tonight, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, the glory of God, is just ask people, you know, when was a time in your life where you enjoyed just incredible peace, incredible peace? Let people tell their story, reflect on a time, either there's a child or recent years. Let them tell their story of incredible peace and then tell the peace that you've experienced when you came to Christ. Tell them of the peace that you experienced when you've sinned and you've blown it and you remember the gospel. That if we sin, we have a savior, we have an advocate. Share the greatest peace we can have in this world is the love of Christ. And for those who do not know Christ, if there's someone here who's not trusted, if you're like my dad, he cut it close. He really, really cut it close. Don't do that. Number one, you don't know. You don't know the day or the moment. You could drive out of here tonight and get T-boned at the intersection without a single warning. Don't wait. But more than that, don't go through the rest of your life, whether it's 10 minutes or 10 years, without experiencing what this passage describes. Glory to God on high, to worship and to know God in his glory and to have peace in your relationships. To have a marriage that just displays the love of Christ that's fulfilling and rewarding, peaceful and safe. To have a relationship with your children and your grandchildren, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors that is filled with peace and glory and joy and happiness. Those are the, the gifts God would give to us as we remember and embrace this promise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill among men. I'm gonna pray as they start to bring out the, the, the candles to light your candles, so keep your eyes open so you are aware of when they're coming by you, but I wanna pray for us as they begin to light the candles here tonight.